And we are been going through the book of Galatians. Um, most of you will know that, and we are going to pick that back up again this morning. Um, so as we enter into this new year, we're going to get back into, the, into Galatians, and we're going to ask the question, what are you relying on for 2019? This links into what Paul actually says in, in chapter 4, um, and the last little section of chapter 4, which we're looking at today. And, and the point really is that it's not about what you are obeying, it's about what you are relying on. Now, Paul, Paul's actually trained as a rabbi, and so he actually uses those skills in this final, rather dramatic way to reinforce the point that he has already made back in chapter 3 and verse 7 that the Galatian Christians were fully children of Abraham the moment that they believed in Christ. But let me explain a little bit further just to put that into context. For a Jewish rabbi, any passage of scripture that they looked at they found four meanings out of it, or at least they tried to. And they were literal meanings. There was the suggested meaning of the passage. There was meanings deduced by investigation. And then there was an allegorical meaning, which is something like a symbolic or a metaphorical meaning. But for them, the very peak of all of those meanings was this allegorical meaning. And so as a rabbi, they would take an Old Testament story, they would read into it these hidden meanings, and actually many of them would appear to us as completely bizarre, um, really, really far-fetched. But actually in this passage, Paul is playing them at their own game. So he uses the illustration of Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Let's get into, the, into some of the verses. So we're in Genesis, not in Genesis, we're in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. Let's just read it. It says, Paul says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy, cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who had a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now this is a pretty heavy passage to start off 2019 with, to be fair, but we're going to give it a go nonetheless. So there are two... There are two very different sons mentioned in this passage. Remember Paul's point, it isn't about what you are obeying, it's about what you are relying on. But perhaps the best way to actually understand 
the historical accounts and actually Paul's arguments for Christian freedom is to briefly trace Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 12 right through to chapter 21. But this is going to be pretty quick, okay? So we start, Abraham is age 75 and Abraham is called by God to go to Canaan and God promises him many descendants. Sarah, unfortunately, is unable to have children, and both Sarah and Abraham desperately want children. However, God waits until it is completely impossible for this to happen before he performs a miracle and gives them a son. The age of 85, there is still no son yet. But Sarah is becoming increasingly impatient, and she suggests that Abraham marry Hagar, her maid, and try and have a son with her. This was legal within society, but it was not the will of God. But Abram follows her suggestion and marries Hagar, age 86. Hagar gets pregnant, and Sarah gets very, very jealous. Things get very difficult, and Sarah actually throws Hagar out, but God intervenes, sends Hagar back, and promises to take care of her and her son. So at the age of 86, a son is born to Abraham and he calls him Ishmael. Age 99. God speaks to Abraham again and promises him that he will have a son by Sarah and tells him to call him Isaac. The age of 100, finally a son is born. They call him Isaac in obedience to God. But the arrival of Isaac caused a whole new set of problems within the home because Ishmael has now arrived. After 14 years, Ishmael has been his father's only son. So how is Ishmael going to respond to the presence of a new boy in the house? Not very well. Age 103. Isaac is now three years old. It's customary within Jewish society to wean their children at at this sort of age but also to have a big party, a bit of a special occasion around it as well. So at that particular feast, Ishmael starts to mock Isaac and to create problems in the home. And there seems to be only one rather costly solution to this problem. Hagar and their son have to go. With a broken heart, Abraham sends his son away because this is what the Lord tells him to do. Now, at the surface of this story, it appears to be a tale of family problems, but beneath the surface, Paul unpacks meanings that carry tremendous spiritual power. Abram's two wives, two sons, represent spiritual realities. And their relationship teaches us some very important lessons. And we see within this this story and, and what Paul is saying here, we see the old covenant of law in contrast to the new covenant of grace. We see slave versus free, flesh versus um, spirit, an earthly Jerusalem in bondage in contrast to a heavenly Jerusalem which is free. Remembering all the time Paul's point, it isn't about what you are obeying, it's about what you are relying on. And as Paul explains the meaning of life behind these, this historical event, Paul begins to to. Ex- Um, by explaining about these two sons that represent two very different types of birth. A physical birth that makes us sinners and a spiritual birth that makes us children of God. Listen, we need to be born of the Spirit. We need a spiritual birth. 
So just three thoughts, first of all, looking at Sarah and Isaac. Like Isaac, a child of God is someone who is born by God's power. So in this Old Testament story, God deliberately waits 26 years before he grants Abraham and Sarah their son. And this is a miraculous, supernatural birth. But whereas Isaac is born after the Spirit, the Christian is born of the Spirit. However, there are many parallels in this as well. Isaac came into this world through Abraham. Abraham, as we know, is a man of faith. And Sarah, she represents grace. So he was born by grace through faith which is true of every Christian. Listen, as a child of God, you were born by God's power. You're born of the Spirit. You're born by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second little thought is this, that Isaac brought joy. See, Isaac's name means laughter, and he certainly brought joy to his parents. And salvation will always bring joy not only to the believer, but also to those around them as well. In fact, it tells us in the New Testament that when someone puts their trust in Jesus, when a sinner repents, there's actually rejoicing in heaven. The very angels in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner that comes to Jesus. The third thought is this, that he grew and was weaned. See, salvation is the beginning of life, not the end. And after we are born, we must grow. It's true of the physical, but also true of the spiritual as well. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, we are told that we must lay aside childish things. And there comes a time when you must put down the toys of early childhood and pick up the tools of a mature Christian. We need to grow up. We need to be men and women of faith. To walk by faith. But please note that God did not begin with Hagar, he began with Sarah. And God always begins with grace. And from the very beginning, right back in the Garden of Eden, God provided for Adam and Eve by grace. And even though they sinned, he provided clothes for them to cover them. And he did not give them laws to obey, but a glorious promise to believe in, a victorious Redeemer to look forward to. And when God then later on delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt, it was on the basis of grace, not of law, because the law had not been given at that point yet. Later on, of course, like Hagar, the second wife, the law was added. But in both cases, it came as a result of disobedience and actually performed a purpose for a temporary time. So three thoughts on Hagar and Ishmael. First is this, Hagar was a slave. Five times in this passage we are t- she's called a slave, but by contrast, Sarah is a free woman who had a position of freedom. So even though Hagar was married to Abraham, she still was a servant. And Paul uses this analogy to explain the law. You see, the law was given as a servant, and it serves as a mirror to reveal our sin. It serves as this monitor to control us. It ultimately, however, is leading us towards Jesus Christ because Jesus is the only solution. Law cannot fulfill what only Jesus can fulfill. 
But the law was never meant to be a mother. Leads us to the second thought. That Hagar was not meant to bear Abraham's children. It was out of disobedience to God that Abram actually married Hagar. And it came out of unbelief. It came out of, of impatience. And Hagar tries to do what only Sarah could do and fails. Because the law cannot give life. And the law cannot provide righteousness. And the law cannot give the gift of the Spirit. And the law cannot produce a spiritual inheritance. So Ishmael cannot share in Abram's inheritance. He is not the heir. So what's Paul actually saying in all of this? Well, what he's saying is this. He's talking to these Judaizers, to these false teachers, and he is trying, who are, I guess, trying to make Hagar a mother again by bringing back these Old Testament laws. But no amount of religion, no amount of legalism can give dead sinners life. Only Jesus can give life through the gospel. Again, it isn't about what you are obeying. It's about who you are relying on. And this idea would have been shocking to any Jewish ears. After all, the the residents of Jerusalem would have regarded Sarah as their mother and Hagar as the mother of the Gentiles. But Paul is in effect reversing everything. This is because if we trust in the law, you're going to end up in slavery. There's no future there. There's no inheritance there. But by contrast, the children of promise, verse 28, are no longer under the law. They have trusted in Christ, and so they are members of the true Jerusalem, the heavenly city of verse 26. See, the gospel not only makes absolutely anyone a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it also emphasizes the fact that the most proud, the most moral, the religiously able are often those ones that are left out of God's family. And the gospel reverses the world's values. It changes the way in which we view life and view church. The bottom line is God wants his people to be free. The third thing is Hagar gives birth to a slave. And actually, Ishmael ends up becoming a wild man. And even though he is a slave, no one can control him. And just like Ishmael, the old flesh is at war with God. And the, the problem is that the law cannot change or control the flesh. And no amount of religious activity is going to change that picture. So whoever chooses the law, represented by Hagar, for their mother, will experience slavery. And whoever chooses grace, represented by Sarah for their mother, will enjoy freedom in Christ. But again, God wants his children to be free. Then Paul finishes off with the three more verses at the end of, 20, of, of chapter 4. Let me just read them, verse 29 to 31. At that time... The son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, 
This relationship between Isaac and Ishmael is certainly not good. In fact, it ends up with Ishmael persecuting Isaac, and it always will be that way. The ones born of the flesh will persecute those born of the spirit. And as Christians, we are children of promise by grace. And the promise of grace that is pictured here by Sarah is Sarah basically is our, is our spiritual mother. But the law and the old flesh want to persecute us and to bring us back into slavery. And there is this war going on between the flesh and the spirit, both within us, but also without as well. And I'm sure most of you or many of you will have experienced something of this within your own heart, this battle between flesh and spirit, what we want to do and what something what God is telling us to do. But also we see it within our church life as well. We see it in our families. We see it around us. So how are we going to deal with such a problem? Well, there are three approaches that we can use. Only one of them is right, by the way. The first approach is this. And we often do this one. We try and change ourselves or others. This will fail. You cannot change either the law or the old nature, no matter how hard you try. And God did not try to change Hagar or Ishmael, either by education or by force. Neither can you or I change the old nature. It just won't work. The second approach is that we compromise with them. This did not work for Abraham's home, neither will it work in our lives either. Ishmael caused problems for Isaac. You notice that there actually are no problems in this home until Isaac is born. Similarly, the old nature, the flesh, creates no problems until by faith the Holy Spirit enters our lives and we trust in Christ. This is often when the battle begins. Because there is no law, there's no self-will strong enough to control or to change the flesh. So we get law versus grace, we get flesh versus spirit. And this is what the Galatians were, were trying to do. What actually they were trying to do was create this compromise. But the truth is that it will only lead them to slavery and into bondage. The false teachers are saying to them, you can have Christ. By all means, put your trust in Jesus. But if you want to be a better Christian or deeper, have a better Christian life, you need to follow the law as well. So in effect, what they are saying and doing is inviting Hagar and Ishmael back home again. And this will be disastrous. It's the road to slavery, to persecution, to conflict. So the third approach that we need to take. We cast them out. Now this seems harsh, But this is what we are supposed to do. Ishmael had been at home for at least 17 years, but his stay is not permanent. He had to leave. It's impossible for law and for grace, for flesh and for spirit to compromise and stay together. It's absolutely impossible to mix um, law and grace or faith and works this they cannot live together. One of them must go. And God's gift of righteousness and man's attempt to earn righteousness just cannot coexist. For grace to abound within our lives, works and law must be permanently excluded. And of course, Paul first of all applies this to the nation of Israel, and then he applies it to the individual Christian. 
So the nation of Israel had been in bondage under the law, but this was a temporary thing to prepare them for the coming of Christ. Now that Christ had come, law had to go. And Jesus Christ, just like Isaac, was born, just like Isaac was, was a child of promise, born of this miraculous power of God, because he came and he died and he took our sins on the cross, the law had to go. Paul quotes Isaiah 54 verse 1. He says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who never were in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who had a husband, says the Lord. And Paul doesn't just apply it to Sarah, who has been barren before the birth of Isaac, but he also applies it to the church. Again, note Paul's point. Sarah had been barren. She tries to find fruitfulness by getting Abraham to marry Hagar. This, of course, fails. In fact, it leads to a whole more set of problems to deal with. See, the law cannot bring life and it cannot bring fruitfulness. Legalism is barren. So if the church goes back into slavery and into law, it will mean barrenness. It will mean disobedience to the word of God. It is only by grace that the church can find fruitfulness and spread across the world. And individual churches can make the same mistake just as the Galatians did. They can fail to cast out Hagar and Ishmael. And legalism can so easily creep back into the individual Christian life or certainly into the church life. And, and, and Paul is not saying that we shouldn't have certain spiritual standards. But what he's saying is we shouldn't worship those standards or think that we are spiritual because we obey them. Or even worse, judge other believers on the basis of our predetermined standards. So for example, if, if just because someone refrains to smoke or to drink or to gamble, it doesn't mean that they are necessarily spiritual. After all, the Pharisees were incredibly high standards, but they still crucified Jesus Christ. The Christian who claims to be spiritual because of what he or she does is only fooling themselves. And the greatest tragedy of legalism is that it gives an opportunity for the flesh to work within our lives. And Paul's going to go into more detail on this in chapter 5, but the law cannot control the old nature. Eventually it will break out, and when it does, you better watch out. Which is why often in legalistic religious groups, you will see many fights and divisions. Of course, every church has got a share of problems, but especially prominent in groups where there's an atmosphere of legalism. When you invite Hagar and Ishmael to live with Sarah and Isaac, you invite trouble. Instead, thank God that as a Christian you are set free from the curse of the law and the control of the law. So remove Hagar and Ishmael from your homes. Permanently get rid of law and the flesh. It may be painful as it was for Abraham, but it must be done. To mix grace and law is to attempt the impossible. It will only produce frustration. It will produce barren Christian lives. It's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that will give you the freedom and the fruitfulness that you need in your Christian life. 
So it isn't about what you are obeying, it's about what you are relying on. And listen, the person that you need to be relying on is Jesus. Of course it is. So what's the secret? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I will never forget Rosie's first sports day. The whistle went off and she began to run. And then about three steps later, she's looking around and watching everybody else along the sidelines. And I'm standing there as this rather over-competitive dad wanting to shout, Focus! Come on! Focus! I didn't, by the way. Then about halfway through the race, she stops completely still and she, her hair's getting into her eyes, so she ties it back in a ponytail, gets it fixed again, and then she begins to run. Needless to say, she didn't particularly win the race that day. A few days later, she comes to me and she asks if she could practice running. I love running, so of course I agreed. And I ran with her for a while, but she just kept looking around. Then I had a brainwave. I, st- I, 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 I stood just past the finish line and I said and asked her to run straight to me. And she ran like the wind because she kept her eyes on me and she looked towards the finish. Listen, as you start a new year, 2019, I wonder who is it you are going to be focusing on? You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to be relying on him Think and remember all that he has done for you. Think of his love for you in coming down to this world and he died in your place on the cross. And the greatest joy comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven, that your guilt is removed. The reality is we are desperately needing Jesus. Why? Well, the prophet Isaiah summed it up in Isaiah 55.7. In fact, he gets a little bit personal and he describes his readers as wicked and unrighteous. Now, it's probably not the best way to win new friends. But the truth is that what we do, what we say, what we think, are at very best selfish, self-centered, and sin just comes too natural to us. You need to be honest with yourself and to realize that the old self is drawn towards wickedness. But actually the problem is that many people... To deal with this, they compensate, they compromise, and what they try to do is put on some form of religious mask. But listen, God sees straight through our religious facade. God looks straight into the heart. And he is not so much interested in what you are doing in his name or how good or how religious you may think you are, but the condition of your heart. And you can stand here on a Sunday morning and we can lift our hands and worship to God and we can say all the right things. We can even put on a nice, polite Christian smile and yet be far away from God. Listen, God does not want religion. He doesn't necessarily want your good works or even your prayers. He wants your heart to be changed. He wants you to rely on Him. Religion does not work. You see, God is not needy. He does not need us at all. Acts 17.25 He is not served by human hands as if we need anything because He Himself gave all men life and breath and everything else. God made all things. He owns all things. He, He in Himself is perfectly complete. God does not need your help. And God is most honored not when you try to bolster God up but when you come to Him humbly to receive his mercy and goodness. 
And there is a way of serving God that insults him, that can belittle him, and actually ultimately rob him of his glory. And if we are deluded enough to think that we can somehow bargain with God for acceptance, you're greatly mistaken. Instead, you come weak and desperate, unable to do anything spiritually apart from the grace of God that he supplies. See, religion tells us we need to work harder or do better, but it ends in slavery, whereas Christianity, in contrast to all other world religions, will set you free because at the very heart of Christianity is God favoring you by grace. It's not what you can do, it's what Jesus Christ has done for you. And this is so serious because eternity is at stake. This, there's only a short time, a window of opportunity to seek God. There's an urgency here and it's important that we get it and we don't miss out. And perhaps you think that you're okay because maybe you're clinging to a distant memory when you raised a hand or prayed a certain prayer. Or, or maybe you think you've bought your ticket to heaven. But you need to be honest with yourself. Do you love Jesus today? Are you relying on him? Have you fully repented of your sins? You're following him. See, if not, God will have to deal with those sins one day. And you will face the wrath of God and God's punishment alone. But the great news of the gospel is that God is not hard to find. In fact, he is calling you today. The beginning of a new year, God calls you. In fact, he has put in place all that you need in Jesus. Jesus paid the price. He took the penalty for all of your sins on the cross. So that by grace, through faith, you can know God's forgiveness, his amazing love given to you completely free. But you need to know Jesus. You need to rely on him both now and for eternity. So at the start of 2019, I want to urge you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to allow nothing else to come in. You and I need to be so careful, however, because just like the Galatian church, we can let Ishmael and we can let Hagar creep back into our lives. Listen, we need to guard against this. And listen, if we've allowed the law, if we've allowed the, the, the flesh to creep back in again, we need to cast them out. We need to focus on Jesus. Let's just stand together. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, that we can know the promises of God, that we can be children of God. And so, Lord Jesus, now we just, as we stand in your presence, the beginning of a new year. Father, we want to just recommit ourselves to you and say, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to walk by faith. We want to know your presence. And we want to know our lives changed, but also, Lord, our community changed and our city changed and our nation changed. For your honour and for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' precious name. So, Spirit of God, just lead us afresh. Come and fill us afresh. Lord, we need you. Amen.